Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends. On the District Productive Network. Lots of issues today. Lots of things to talk about. There's a Trump transition going on. Uh, There was a meeting yesterday at the White House between Donald Trump and President Obama, as you may have heard. Uh, There are Trumpies doing awful things across the country, uh, from graffiti to uh, intimidation and threats. Uh, And then we've had some protests from the left uh, across the country in various cities. Uh, Most of those have been peaceful protests. Last night in Portland, Oregon, some things got out of hand. Uh, people jumping on cars and the like. Uh, it is a chaotic moment in our history, Peter. <clears throat> yeah, it feels chaotic. I mean, it feels. You know how I described it uh, to someone the other uh, the other day. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I, I'm really not. But this, the feeling that I have, and the feeling that I've had with my peers around me, it feels like the days after 9/11. And and again, I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to. To, to make some sort of a quantum leap to how bad Trump is, I obviously don't think he's as bad as 9/11. Probably. Are, are you really? I mean, probably. I mean, look, 9/11 probably. is bad and it's evil and terror, but right. What but one could do from a policy standpoint could be worse. It could be worse. But 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 you know, it's a period of uncertainty and sort of sadness for people who who are, have been paying attention uh, to the kind of person that Donald Trump is. But f- for me, it's it's just kind of fear because we don't know what he's going to do. And oh, I have a I have a I have a good idea. So well, I have a good idea. There's this Trump of the last 72 hours or so in public, <laughs> yeah, 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 who's yeah. talking about unifying the country and all that. And uh, Jamie, yesterday he uh, he met with President Obama and he came out saying such nice things about President Obama. Jamie, if you got a clip, you can play. Mr. President, it was a great honor being with you, and I look forward to being with you many, many more times in the future. Thank you, sir. Donald Trump treated Barack Obama as a usurper. Yeah. Told the country that he didn't have a birth certificate, yeah. that he was illegitimate, yeah. and now says it's an honor to sit with you. Are you kidding me? But in addition to that, I think there are other things that we can look at for a Trump presidency right now. Rudy Giuliani, who believes in imprisoning people without trial, yep. is now uh, under consideration for attorney general, at least by Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> and reports are that he'll uh, be in. I mean, he'll be in the mix. So that, no matter what he ends up, it basically want to prosecute the rival. Yep. And there's nobody in the Trump campaign saying that's not the case. Nope. Uh, I believe that Donald Trump said nice things about Hillary Clinton in his uh, victory speech, largely so that she wouldn't flee the country to a non-extraditable country. <laughs> I think that he will pursue charges against Hillary Clinton, whether there's merit or not. Yeah. Uh, and even if he doesn't, that threat will hang over her head uh, in a way that those threats never hung over the head of uh, over the Bush administration officials uh, who could have been prosecuted for a variety of things. I'm really glad you mentioned that. 
I'm really glad you mentioned that because when you look at what happened after George W. Bush left office, a man who arguably committed many war crimes, it was it. They took they took impeachment off the table early on. Barack Obama said, we're done, we're moving on, it's over. I, and by I, the way, I agree with that. I do, too. Look, I don't think you should over. prosecute the, the last president or presidential know. candidate. Look, Unless they did something. George W. Bush, like I said, arguably committed war crimes. There are other powers that can Some people were closer that. to inarguably committing. Yeah, sure. I wouldn't say the president, but. Sure. But there like, are some people in that administration. Do I think that it's a good look for our next president, wh- whoever it is, to look backwards and try and meet out revenge onto a political rival? It's I mean, it's first of all, it's a bad look <laughs> because in this town, optics are everything. But it's also just embarrassing, and you're you you really aren't a person who has serious ideas about moving the country forward. You're really just in it for yourself. I want to talk a minute for about moving the country forward and being in it, in it for yourself and not looking back. Because yesterday, Donald Trump also met with Paul Ryan, uh, and Paul Ryan was talking uh, about the direction that the country will go in under the Trump Ryan McConnell. Triumvirate. Donald Trump had one of the most impressive victories we've ever seen, and we're going to turn that victory into progress for the American people. And we are now talking about how we're going to hit the ground running to make sure that we can get this country turned around and make America great again. Everything that we've heard out of Donald Trump and Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell's mouth so far is not about progress, it's about regress. It is about exactly what you were talking about not doing before which is seeking retribution against your rivals. What they want to do is repeal the Affordable Care Act. They've said lip service that they want to replace it. How they intend to replace the Affordable Care Act uh, while they're repealing it through reconciliation, a process that is extraordinarily complicated to legislate in. And we saw them attempt to do that uh, in the last Congress and fail to really come up with a replacement plan really just sending a repeal to Obama so that he would reject it and they get some headlines. Uh, they want to do that. Dodd-Frank, I am sure, is gone. Uh, Greg Craig, the first White House counsel for Barack Obama, told the Washington Post, anything with President Obama's name on it is not safe. Uh, and so they're, they are going to look backward. And in fact, the entire campaign of Donald Trump was predicated on a slogan that said, look backward, make America great again. Back to the Future 3, or whichever whichever Back to the Future sucked the most. That was Back to the Future 3. Yeah. yeah so, oh, God, yeah. That's basically yeah, right where we're headed. So, first of all, all the Back to the Future movies are kind of dumb, but Back to the, the Future first one's pretty good. The first one's good. No, it doesn't hold up. Come on. What are you go talking back about? With Joe Crowley, I, congressman from New York, starring as ah! <laughs> <laughs> That is amazing. <laughs> I went back and watched the Back to the Future movies not that long ago. Eh, they're all right. The Calvin Klein joke's still kind of funny. Yeah. But it's weird that he wants to be with his mom. That's, that's very weird. Trumpian. It's, it's very Trumpian. Right? Wow. Yeah. Who knew? They normalized it. Puffington hosted this whole big thing about how the Biff Tannen from the future is actually Donald Trump, and it, it, it rings mm. pretty true. Isn't that our friend Arthur Delaney? Yeah, Arthur Delaney. Yeah. We should get Crowley and Trump in here. By the way, both Queensborn. Yeah. And see which one of them is Biffiest. And... And if they could contiguously play different ages of Biff Tannen. I can tell you this. One of those guys will never be in the studio. Wow. 
You don't like Joe Crowley? <laughs> <laughs> All right, but back to the serious, awful things that are going on in this world. Oh, so yeah, here's, right, my, here's my other tip-off to what Donald Trump is thinking. He, he, there are two people who are being met, three people really, who, uh, whose names have surfaced as possible chiefs of staff, uh, two of them seemingly more serious. Uh, one of them is Reince Priebus, the head of the Republican Party, and you know, God bless Reince Priebus for having a pretty damn good night on Tuesday sure. and for putting in place the things that were helpful sure. to Trump and to other Republicans and for finding a way to forge uh, a bond between uh, the Republican establishment and Donald Trump. Yeah. I'm not sure that other people in this city look at Ryan's Priebus and think to themselves, that guy's a White House chief of staff, but whatever. Maybe a legitimate candidate for the job. Certainly had a good night on Tuesday. I think the resume it will lend itself to the job. The, I don't think he's the right guy necessarily, but he's a serious person. You're right. The, exactly. The other guy who you would look like look at as somebody who might be able to run an entire government, a cabal with Russia, uh, WikiLeaks, and the FBI's rogue agents – uh, is a man named Steve Bannon. Ah, yes. Folks may be familiar with Steve Bannon as the former head of Breitbart, mm-hmm. uh, which could also be called Alt-Right-Bart, <laughs> which is uh, basically a racist, anti-Semitic, well, less anti-Semitic than it is racist, but uh, basically a racist website and uh, conglomerate of media properties um, that have... Uh, fueled the Donald Trump rise. Uh, Steve Bannon also funded the book Clinton Cash that the rogue FBI agents used as the predicate for their investigation into the Clinton Foundation that found absolutely nothing and then required Jim Comey to come out and talk about it just a few days before the election. Um, That Steve Bannon is under serious consideration to be the White House Chief of Staff, a man who has made a career on stoking hatred uh, should tell you exactly where Donald Trump's head is. It should tell you exactly who this who this man that is uh, about to walk into the Oval Office is. And even if he doesn't go with Ben, and the fact that the man's under consideration is a problem. And then the other, the third party that's, that is potentially engaged in this, folks say, he was seen taking a walk with White House Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough the other day, is Jared Kushner the husband of Ivanka Trump. Uh, it's a bad idea to hire your relatives yeah. in the government. Let's just, there, <laughs> there are reasons for anti-nepotism rules. Yeah. And look, you can go back precedent-wise and say, look, but, you know, JFK didn't do anything without Bobby, and Bobby was the, uh, the attorney general, but it's a bad idea. Um, it's generally a terrible idea. Uh <laughs> So I, I don't – and look, you look across the government, you look at the cabinet agencies where people uh, might be landing. Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama denied a federal judgeship because of the racist things he said when he was uh, a judge in Alabama, now potentially going to be the defense secretary. Yep. Chris Christie looking at a job in government, high job in government. If he escapes Bridgegate without actually getting prosecuted, he's lucky. Yeah. Um, this is uh, Ed Meese is doing one of the is doing the transition stuff for for him. If people don't remember, Ed Meese was drummed out of the federal government when he was the attorney general because he was involved in a corruption scandal. He didn't end up getting charged. Another person who was lucky to get off, not not charged, but was forced to resign as attorney general because he was seen as literally personally corrupt. This is, and by the, I mean, and 
I don't even want to get into Ed Meese and his, um, well, maybe I will for a minute, yeah. uh, his anti-pornography report to during the Reagan administration. Oh, How does that comport geez. with the new first lady's former career in nude modeling? Yeah. Um, and and by the way, I don't hold the nude modeling against no, Melania Trump. But, but I don't. But they will hold it against other people. Right. It's it's the hypocrisy that bothers me. Not exactly. I mean, whatever. Melania Trump, more power to it's her. It's not the morality. It's the hypocrisy. My brand of feminism says you do what you want to do. It's not my role to say take your clothes off for power. Don't sure. take your clothes off for power. Whatever. Sure. But Ed Meese, seriously. The thing is, we can't just sit here and analyze what's going on uh, without the reality check of the news. And we're going to turn to somebody who's really good at collecting that news, at reporting that news, um, at writing that news in a way that's very accessible. Uh, Sarah Wheaton from Politico, White House reporter. Hi, Sarah. Hey, how's it going? It's going very well. Disappointment. (laughs) Did did I mess up that? um, Did I mess up that job? so badly at Politico, that White House reporter job, that it's now difficult to do? Yeah, basically, it's more that, like, every day they're like, Sarah, you're just not filling John Allen's shoes. And, um, you know, I think 100% really chance nobody's ever said that to you. <laughs> uh, they're size 13, you know, in case Donald Trump's wondering. Um <laughs> So yesterday at the White House, uh, there is this meeting between Donald Trump and Barack Obama. Donald Trump, who uh, isn't really that excited about uh, about meeting with Barack Obama because he believes Barack Obama, at least for a long time, believed Barack Obama uh, was not born in the United States and had, was illegitimately elected to the presidency. Uh, Barack Obama, of course, carrying a grudge from the years during which Donald Trump tried to delegitimize him. Uh, what was your uh, what was your read on the meeting and import, if, if any, of that meeting yesterday? Well, both sides are basically um, saying that if the meeting went well and, and this is Trump's opportunity to show that he's going to be a serious person. And all reports so far, at least, are that he seems to be doing that um, to with some exceptions. So uh, both men, after their meeting, talked about what a great meeting it was. They said they they kind of touched on some domestic and foreign policy issues, but mostly talked about sort of the mechanics of staffing a White House. And, and uh, uh, Obama's spokesman said that the president stressed how important it is to take that process seriously. Um, Trump also said it was a good meeting. He spoke about President Obama in very respectful terms. Um, said he was a, a great man. I think he sent out a tweet that said the two of them had good chemistry, which I thought was an interesting um, characterization. But then Trump also said, uh, he told reporters during the kind of photo op uh, pool spray thing that, um, that the meeting was only supposed to ha- last for 10 to 15 minutes and instead last an hour and a half. The White House basically uh, said that that was ridiculous, that the president always had scheduled more time than just 10 or 15 minutes for this meeting so so donald trump already trump, lying. Still, still trump in the end <laughs> so so just i mean just to be clear that his first words spoken in the oval office were lies um that's one way of putting it i think yeah. that's how i'm gonna put it 
<laughs> you know, so I mean, mean, maybe maybe Trump was only planning on devoting 10 or 15 minutes to the meeting, and he was persuaded by his depth of interest in, in uh, White House staffing to stick around longer, but um, at least from the White House's end, uh, they knew that this conversation should at least for appearances sake last you, a little you know, longer. Even if you're the president-elect, when you're visiting the president of the United States, the time at which you leave is not up to you. Jack Jenkins, uh, religion reporter for thinkprogress.org. Uh, you have written recently about uh, the push to kill the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to make a push to uh, kill the Electoral College? Well, there's there's basically two movements simultaneously. One is trying to just upend the vote of Tuesday. So, you know, Hillary Clinton is probably, when all the votes are count, counted, have accrued one or two percent more of the popular vote than Donald Trump did. And so, you know, as has been the case in 2000 and actually a few other elections, this is another instance in which someone won the popular vote but will lose the Electoral College. Because all the Democrats are in California. Yeah, a lot of them they don't. You don't get any extra credit. It's like the caucuses in Iowa. Bernie Sanders probably had more people show up in the caucuses in Iowa than Hillary Clinton, but they were apportioned uh, incorrectly across the caucuses for him to win the... Yeah, I mean, apportionment is a problem, and their argument is we should figure out a way to, um, like, since so technically most electors in most, in 21 states, electors are not bound to support what their state, who their state voted for, so they can, they can technically cast their ballot for whoever they want. So they could, you know, switch their vote and not vote for Donald Trump and vote for Hillary Clinton. Also, a lot of other states only impose like a fine if you do that. It's like a thousand dollar fine. And it's actually unclear whether or not any sort of uh, law that conscripts an elector is constitutional. They've never actually been challenged. Probably not. Right. right? Most, most, a lot of scholars think that they would fall apart in court. So there's a push right now to try to get the Electoral College to represent the will of the people and support Hillary Clinton. Um, Donald Trump once supported this idea yes, on Twitter. Yes. So, you know, a couple <laughs> minutes later, he may have undone that. But in 2012, he seemed very angry that Karl Rove thought that uh, that Mitt Romney had won uh, and was very angry about the uh, popular vote and, and basically said, we got to get rid of the Electoral College. Yes. And in 2012, on election night, uh, Donald Trump tweeted that the Electoral, electoral College is a disaster for a democracy, um, and uh, which seems ironic now um but so th- but so it's actually to, to be fair if i held a position at one point and then i got elected because the opposite thing i got elected president <laughs> because the opposite thing happened i would take the slings and arrows of those who thought i was a little bit of a hypocrite because <laughs> no matter I what would, i would accept the presidency and take the take the heat yeah so and, and that seems to be well he's not really saying much of anything right now right, it's yeah, actually right, relatively right. quiet but uh mm-hmm. but yeah that's that seems to be the case um but that's only to just change the vote there's a separate movement that's been going on for years to just um change the way the electoral college works like to, to get rid of it you have to amend the constitution but what you can do instead is get enough states to promise that um states that represent over 270 electoral votes to promise that whoever wins the popular vote they will give all of their electoral votes to that person. And then the Electoral College basically like ceases to, to yeah. have the same effect. And so they've got 167 electoral or 160-something electoral votes already um, through, through states that have said they're going to agree to do this, but they still need a lot more to get to 270. Um, and the and so that's that would be the other hope, is to kind of render it inert by getting enough states to sign on. 
Um, it is not clear to me why you need an electoral college in in the modern day. Yeah, I don't I don't understand it. I've never I've always struggled to explain. It. I was trying to talk to my kids about it. I, I was just like, yeah, I, I can be honest. I, I really don't know why it exists. Yeah, it's. It, it, it's, it's origin. Like, it's like regular college. Not quite sure why. It's, yeah, right. <laughs> other than drinking. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like you know the early forms of our democracy. The early period of American history was not a direct democracy, right? Like voting was only if you were a landowning white guy, and um, and it took a long time for us to kind of develop that out. And the electoral college is is designed roughly to kind of like mitigate, um, you know, the will. Like it, it basically doesn't really give power in the hands of the people gives it to the people that you vote for which is the electors like you actually nominate electors on election day not vote for the president but ultimately if the existence of the electoral college is to prevent the people from doing something really stupid this is kind of the test yeah yeah so like maybe maybe you look at this you go i don't know donald trump is like a completely scary disaster doesn't believe in our country the way that most of us conceive of it um or at least certainly the way that i conceive of it so Maybe if you were looking at somebody who is dangerous and shouldn't be in that job, now would be the time for those electors to be like, I'm going to exercise my constitutional duty to prevent the country from going into the hands of somebody who's awful. And by the way, I'm not arguing that they should do that uh, because I actually believe um, I believe that the people voted for him. And even if the majority of the people didn't vote for him, the system that we have, he, he was elected president of the United States. Enough people have faith in him in the right states that he's the president. He's a legitimately elected president. Um, but I also think that he's a complete danger to, you know, sort of our current way of life and, and certainly uh, a lot of American values that cross party lines that are more uh, about cu- culture and values than they are about um, about politics or partisanship or any policy. Uh, so. This isn't going to happen anytime soon. No, it's highly unlikely to happen. Technically, it is true that electors have already expressed interest in. A few have said that they might, you know, not vote for the person that they are 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 you know nominated to vote for. Um, the problem is that for Hillary Clinton, it's a really steep climb to get enough electors to switch for her to be able to win the electoral college. And what's left out of this, you know, there's basically been four electors that have entertained the idea publicly of not voting for their their party's candidate. Um, Two are Republicans, one's in Georgia and um, one's in Texas, but two are Democrats. And those Democrats expressed before the election that they might you know, cast a ballot for Bernie Sanders or someone else as opposed to Hillary Clinton. So she's already two in the hole, really, um, for her to be able to make that, that steep climb. And these people are nominated by their parties, and it's highly unlikely that you you could probably get a few, but it's highly unlikely you could get the 40-plus electoral votes needed to, to, to tip the scales in her favor. You'd have to have a lot of money. You'd have to be able to pay people off. I think. I mean, there. there I'm be not a lot sure of that's illegal. Mechanisms. It. It's an interesting question of whether. Or not, it's I'm not sure they're pl- they're public officials, right? Like. Yeah. No, you're right. Uh, I certainly like. It's not clear. Um, with regard to the party nominating processes, and those are not those people aren't public officials, right? They're just party officials. So you can actually do quite a lot of bribery of <laughs> uh, delegates to conventions before you get in trouble. Huh. Um, I don't know about electors. Uh, yeah. They definitely have a role that's like a sort of public office kind of role, but they have that one function. I don't know how all that counts. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel certain that those who are bound by a thing that would say that they would have to pay a fine, that there are like lots of Democrats who would gladly pay that fine for them if they you know, decide, decided to do Yeah, the $1,000 $1, or whatever for uh, the Washington yeah. guy who said yeah. he um, – 
Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. Our electoral college doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, Alex, United States Senate, Mitch McConnell, arm's length from Donald Trump for most of this campaign season, mm-hmm. and now a little less than arm's length. What is uh, Mitch McConnell's posture toward Donald Trump after their meeting on Capitol Hill yesterday? So they met for about an hour uh, yesterday in the Capitol, and afterwards, uh, Donald Trump felt comfortable enough to talk to the press at an impromptu um, Q&A session uh, that started off saying that he had some some great priorities for the American people. Somebody shouted out the top three. He said healthcare, immigration, and jobs, big league jobs. And uh, big league, big league. So he's going to expand Major League Baseball. And then um, <laughs> and then uh, a reporter then uh, asked if Donald Trump would ask Congress to uh, ban Muslims from entering the country, which then he said thank you everybody, and then and then left. But it. Um, so the answer to that question is yes, because if it was <laughs> no, he would say no. Well, I, I think that what it did, though, is it showed the conundrum that Republicans have had. So, you know, Mitch McConnell in June said that it's obvious that he doesn't know a lot about the issues. And then now he's in this moment where he's trying to figure out this reality that nobody really expected. And to embrace a man who uh, has said a number of controversial things and they're trying to find common ground and the common ground that they can find are on three of those priorities that you mentioned um, so I think everybody's now trying to just figure out what happened and, and how to and how to move forward Jamie we've got John Kasich talking about the uh, Ohio governor who was not very supportive of Donald Trump happened to go to the White House yesterday with LeBron James think about this if you're Barack Obama you get a meeting with Donald Trump and a meeting with LeBron James on the same day. By the uh, way, the Cavs apparently crossed paths with Donald Trump in the White House, is what I had heard. Well, that's why Which they. It's part of the reason why well, they Donald had that. Trump beat LeBron James. LeBron James <laughs> went true. out and yeah. tried to drum up support yeah. for Hillary Clinton in Cleveland yeah. and yeah. fail. Yeah. Epic fail. <laughs> I mean, she didn't just lose Ohio. She got waxed in Ohio. That's part of the reason. Yes, that's part of the reason why they held it outside, right? Uh, because normally they do these things inside with the sports oh, yeah. teams. Oh yeah. Uh, but because there was so much activity over there yesterday, uh, it had to be outside. Part of the reason why she lost Ohio was because in Akron, where LeBron James is from, and in Cleveland, the numbers were down compared to four years ago. Too. Right. Yeah. I mean, so fail, fail, yeah. fail. Yikes. LeBron James defeated by. Donald Trump, however, Donald Trump still has far smaller hands and feet than LeBron James. Willing yeah. to bet. Yeah. LeBron James, six foot ten. Donald Trump has small hands for a six footer. <laughs> uh, have you seen the like the charts like that people can like or the, the outline of his hand that you can like put your hand on and see if your hand is bigger or smaller than Donald Trump's hand? I haven't mm-hmm. done that yet. Yeah. I'm ashamed now that I'm talking about the size of Donald Trump's hands and feet. Yeah. So we're going to stop now. With you got that. big hands, John. You got normal size hands. They're kind of they're kind of paws. Yeah, know? yeah. These are yeah, yeah. I got the same thing. Mitts. Yeah. So John Kasich was saying. So John, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Other than that, how was the play? All right. So yeah, John Kasich was saying this about uh, his thoughts on Donald Trump. Give him a chance. Give him a chance. And there'll be places where I'll agree with him and places where I will disagree with him. But that doesn't lead to any disrespect. That sounds like a man with small hands, <laughs> by the way. Uh, Alex, this seems, I think John Kasich is encapsulating uh, what the Republican attitude 
toward Donald Trump is right now. Um, and maybe maybe the folks who are inside the Capitol are a little more warm toward him. I think, uh, you know, yesterday, you know, Senator Roberts um, from Kansas was, was walking around. He had to uh, have one of the, the duties overlooking the, the chamber yesterday. So some reporters were talking to him and uh, immediately noted that there's a difference between traditional Republicans and Donald Trump on trade. So there are absolutely going to be issues where, looking forward, I don't know how they're going to be able to bridge the divide. But then when he talked about other other things, there are, you know, aspects of daylight here that they can move forward on. But they have no relationship uh, with Donald Trump. There are only a handful of senior staff members who worked on the Trump campaign, and now everybody in Washington is trying to find those um, few people um, and, and talk to the transition team. Uh, but it's trying to get their resume in the get, hands of those people. Right, and I mean, you, you couldn't imagine this happening, you know, a few months ago. Uh, it, <laughs> and now they're scrambling to find, you know, the people they're trying to find are Jeff Sessions staffers. Right. Uh, Rick Session. Dearborn, the chief of staff, former chief of staff um, there. I mean, the, the um, I, I think everyone's just kind of waking up to this shock and uh, and kind of excusing some of the things that he said in the past. Right. I mean, they're going to have to now look forward to this man to, to lead the country. And I think that it's going to be remarkable to see the turnabout here. Well, they have a shared interest. Uh, the Republicans now own everything that Donald Trump does from here on out, uh, whether they like what he's doing or not. So it's in their it is beyond their patriotic interest in doing what's best for the country, which they always adhered to faithfully during the Obama presidency. They have a very strong, and I say that sarcastically, they have a very strong uh, political interest in making sure that Donald Trump isn't an abject failure that brings down the Republican Party for several generations. Sure. And, I mean, some of these uh, members also, I mean, their jobs are because of the uh, of Donald Trump and the voters that he brought in uh, this year. I mean, they, the Republicans did about as well as they possibly could have done in the Senate. I mean, they're going to probably have 52 seats. That's about as good as they could have done. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, th- I think that uh, they're going to now look to Trump to try to figure out uh, how to fill in the blanks. You know, what bills can you pass that make America great again? He doesn't really provide many specifics in his campaign, and it's going to be remarkable to try to figure out what they're going to do looking forward. Well, I mean, the nice thing for them is they don't have to look forward. They look backward and they repeal the Obama agenda, and they spent a couple years getting on the same page on that. Uh, you know, there's not... Um, they don't have to do a whole lot of forward. I, I assume they're going to do some infrastructure spending. Uh, they will build some ports that will no longer be useful because we're getting out of our trade deals. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I I mean I think they'll do that infrastructure spending spending piece whether or not they're generating more revenue uh, from tax reform or anything else. Uh, we have been joined by Elizabeth Lydra of uh, the Constitutional Accountability Center. Uh, we're going to talk Supreme Court. Yes. This is one of those things, um, you know, when people are watching results come in on election night and they've invested themselves in candidates, uh, Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, uh, this is one of the things that may not be the first on their mind, but is pretty close to, all right, what does this election mean? Like. Mm-hmm. You win, you lose. Uh, for Democrats losing, uh, they look at this and go, wait a second, we have a four to four Supreme Court, and we thought we were going to have a, a Supreme Court justice 
Uh, Mitch McConnell blocked that for the last year. Mm. Um, Elizabeth, 20 or so names mm-hmm. that we've seen from Donald Trump, who scares you? Um, I would say pretty much all of them. Um, <laughs> but if you're like a listener right now and you're like, who should I be like over my dead body versus that's really bad and that person shouldn't be on the court, but like I'm not going to personally throw myself in front of a train to stop it. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think it's just so er- too, way too early to tell. There's so many names on that list. Um, you know, obviously, I think that he probably is looking at that list for the first time. You know, I think it was put together by other people to help make conservatives feel better about a Trump presidency. So I don't even know if he is going to use that list when he decides who he wants to nominate. If it weren't for the teleprompters, it would not be clear at all that Donald Trump is capable of reading the list. Well, you know, I I, I don't know, but I don't think he, he really... He doesn't do a lot of reading, right? Like, this is not somebody who's spending a lot of time with briefing books. And I don't think that he is um, hugely up on the Supreme Court. Um, but Or the Constitution. Well, I would say that he could definitely read the Constitution a little bit more. And one thing, you know, we were talking about this just a minute ago about the way the Constitution has changed over time. On Trump's website, he talks about, um, you know, our 4,000 or so word Constitution. Well, that's Constitution as it stood in 1789. 4,400 words before we amended it. Yeah. And you know what all those other amendments give us? Voting rights. They give us racial equality. They give us equal citizenship. They give us equal protection for all persons, including gay and lesbian, transgender persons. So by focusing only on that 1789 Constitution, he's missing a whole heck of a lot. So when people talk about being originalists, are they talking about the original Constitution without the amendments? So they shouldn't be. No, that's um, the (laughs) real... But maybe he is. Yeah, I know. Maybe he's taking that super literally. He also is a big fan of Article 12, which uh, most listeners will know does not exist. Yeah, it's kind of like Dulcinea, you know. It's like like he has, I don't know what's in Article 12, but, you know, it clearly means a lot to him. But no, it's, you know, I, I would I would love for him to be studying the Constitution. I think he'd find a lot in it, and I think he should be reading it. And, but we definitely should be reading it and making sure that his attempts to, you know, look, we were a country that was founded on religious diversity. Now we have someone who might be making Muslims register. We were a country that says... We're banning that, them from entering the country. Right, exactly. You know, we need to defend our progressive constitutional values because they're in there. It's not like we're just saying, oh, you should do this because it's the right thing. No, he should do it because it is owed to us as Americans. It's our constitutional guarantee. It's like the Bible. There's some stuff in there that the liberals like. There's some stuff that's in there that the conservatives like. I mean, I'm not saying the Bible was fought over the way the Constitution was, but like... Basically, there's there's pieces that each – we are unified by this thing, and we don't all love everything in it, right? Yeah. Like, the left doesn't like the Second Amendment. Right. Right? The right doesn't like a lot of the amendments. Um, but, but this is what joins us, and Donald yeah. Trump is, like, at best unaware of it. Um, the, the original call to ban Muslims from entering the United States was clearly in violation of at least the 14th Amendment, yep. right? Because mm-hmm. he wasn't making a distinction between citizens and – non-citizens, um, and so therefore you would be uh, not giving equal protection to yeah. Muslim citizens, mm-hmm. uh, probably runs afoul of some other things. Definitely about the the, the concepts, right. spirit of the Constitution. Exactly. 
Um, not that legal scholars talk a lot about the spirit of the Constitution. Well, we, but we definitely talk about values. You know, there's text, history, and values of the Constitution. And, you know, I think I think that definitely violates the text of the Constitution, and it certainly violates the values. And his his proposal in, during the campaign, which I hope he will abandon, to try to undermine birthright citizenship, that's the part of the 14th Amendment that says whether your parents came over on the Mayflower or they immigrated legally or not, yesterday, if you are born on U.S. soil, you are a U.S. citizen and you are as equal an American as anybody else. Um, he said that he wanted to undermine that. That is deeply unconstitutional, not just by the text, but how also many of our his, values. How many of his children would not be American citizens under that, uh, well, under that change? You know, what they want to do is prevent children who are born to undocumented right. immigrants. Um, and uh, <laughs> I'm not going to weigh in on, on, on whether Melania Trump was an undocumented immigrant when she was here. If you are a progressive and you're looking at Donald Trump nominating a Scalia replacement and perhaps one or two more uh, Supreme Court justices, what is your best prayer as a pro- progressive for what happens with the Supreme Court anytime in the near future? Well, first, pray for longevity for Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Stephen Breyer. Um, but, you know, we got to keep holding them accountable. We've got to keep telling them that our eyes are upon them and hope that they do the right thing. As we've seen them do the right thing in the marriage cases um, and the abortion case before, just hope for that. And corporations think they're doing a great job right now. Yes, that is what the pro-corporate court is unfortunately here to stay under Trump justices. May have helped Obamacare, though. We got to go, though. Elizabeth Wider, thanks for joining us. Great Peter Osborne, Jimmy Benson, Ray Rogers, and Supreme <laughs> Holding. We're this out. This is the Bill Press Show. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.